The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Right now, we're going to welcome Jack Shanley to the program. He's a law enforcement officer for 29 years and is nationally recognized in the area of suspect tactics and perimeter containment. Hi, Jack. How are you? Hello, Morgan and Brad. Good to be with you. Good to be with you as well. So, first off, I, I, I've read that you've done 2,000 of these containments. Is that correct? Um, by, the, by the time uh, I finished my career a few years ago, it was probably 2,500 to 3,000 years in different capacities. But yeah, a lot of perimeters. So I'm, I'm hoping you could take us into, I, I, you've, you've seen a lot of these. Can you tell us the common themes of the successful ones and the, and the unsuccessful ones? What, what kind of things do we see in each that are, that are kind of pushing towards success or failure? There's definitely factors that contribute to that. Uh, the, the number one uh, factor to, to contribute to a success is communication. Uh, it's good communication, and that doesn't always happen for a lot of reasons, but uh, because of confusion, because of delays. And then the next thing that I would say is, is how quickly is a containment set up? Uh, if it's set up quickly, uh, like in an urban area where it's easy to do, uh, the success rate goes very high. If it takes a while to set up, uh, the success rate starts to drop slowly. Um, and then the last thing would be how thorough the search is once the containment is set. How, how good a job we do as law enforcement officers of, of clearing the area that's been contained and doing it right and following the, the guidelines and rules and policies and procedures. Jack, what went through your mind when you first caught wind of this? You saw that, you know, they're 19 and 18-year-olds. They're two young kids. They're clearly on the run from something heinous for the first time in their lives. Uh, What sort of things were you thinking about, and did you think that it would end up lasting as long as it did? Um, Well, it it was very interesting because this is a very unique case. You have two teenagers that are on a violent uh, spree of killing random people. That's really unusual. And then the movement of them didn't surprise me, that they moved so far. Uh, and the desperation came to mind. And when we have somebody as desperate as these two, they're going to take chances and risks that an average criminal uh, isn't going to do. They're going to do things differently. So, so law enforcement has to react differently. And what I saw, and from what I read and saw and, and researched, uh, Canadian law enforcement did exactly that. They responded with the right types of, of tools, the right types of people, and the right types of tactics to, to try and slow these guys down, possibly contain them. But the biggest thing that jumped out at me was that this is going to be hard. It's going to be very long and grueling and difficult, and it's because of the, the terrain and the, the wilderness and the remoteness of this. That makes it so much more difficult for law enforcement. So it didn't surprise me that it took this long to come to a conclusion at all. That didn't surprise me one bit. And I actually thought it might go longer. Jack, you mentioned all the great things that police did up here, responding quickly and efficiently. But did it ever concern you that police would have a tough time catching up, just in a general sense? Because... It was about a week until police came out and said, we believe these are the two that are responsible for these three murders, and they had quite the head start ahead of the, co- ahead of the cops. Yes, that, that, that was a big, a big factor, uh, and that bothered me a lot. And even, even once they knew 
uh, for instance, the, the, the car burning. By the time that car is discovered and reacted to by someone that's going to put the fire out, and then they figure out, uh, hey, this belongs to, to these suspects, every minute that ticks by uh, is going to give them a head, an even more of a head start. And then add to that that it's in northern Manitoba where, where it's very remote. It's going to take a long time for big numbers of law enforcement to get there. Uh, that made it really, really tough on law enforcement because these, these two had a pretty good head start in deciding what they were going to do and how they were going to do it. Jack, you're an expert in suspect tactics. Clearly, it's no small feat to evade the RCMP when you have a, a, a large presence looking for you. What, what are some of those tactics that, that a person on the run may, may employ to escape? Well, it's going to vary. The tactics are going to vary in an urban area versus... Uh, where, where this search took place. So I'll address what I think uh, the remoteness of this uh, wilderness has to do. They're, they're going to be trying to conceal themselves, really conceal themselves, because I guarantee you that they knew that the RCMP was hot on their trail, and they probably heard the helicopters, saw the helicopters, uh, you know, maybe they even heard the dogs barking uh, that were coming for them. So they know that. So they're going to be Using tactics, uh, the common tactic would be concealment, you know, burying themselves into something in, in thick brush or under things. Um, they're going to try and keep moving. That, that would be a big one. And the things that popped into my mind when I saw the Gillum and I looked at it and, and was hearing some of the things around that, their, their, their choices were very limited. But the train, that, those train tracks jumped out at me. The river jumped out at me. The one or two roads there jumped out of me because those are better choices than going into that wilderness and just trying to hide. I mean, that's just from what I've heard, it's brutal in there. The bugs, the terrain, it's not easy to move quickly. So I was thinking all along that that train, the river, or hitchhiking or getting a ride were the three things that I would really be looking at. And I know RCMP did look at those. I, on that note, that brings up perimeter containment and you talk about the one road in the one road out you talk about the river in the area but you talk about the train tracks and the terrain people on the surface are thinking oh well it's got to be pretty easy just surround that area but because of that vast deep and ugly terrain around the area it must have made things incredibly more difficult than the common person would think i i agree with that 100 percent. that is absolutely true it is much easier to contain someone in downtown Edmonton than it is in, in a wilderness like that. Much easier because you have streets and you have corners and you have everything is square and you can put officers, you know, you stand at this corner, let's get a unit at this corner to contain. Out there, there's no, there's just one road. So that's why RCMP set up those roadblocks at either end and we're checking every single car. They had to. They had to. that Because that, that eliminates that possibility. Then they were... And, searching trains leaving the area. I loved when I saw that. And I knew they would. Uh, they're very professional. They know what they're doing. And But that train jumped out of me. And then, sure enough, we end up talking about a boat on a river, and it didn't surprise me. That's another way to put distance between yourself and the law enforcement that's chasing you and uh, do it pretty quickly. And that's what that appears to be what they, what they did. 
Jack, how, I mean, we're talking about terrain that looks very similar and the chance of backtracking. For those of us who aren't as familiar with law enforcement tactics, how, how do they make sure that they're not rehashing ground already covered? That's very challenging. Uh, it's going to take a lot of coordination uh, and the best tools to, to keep that from happening are the air assets, whether it's an RCMP helicopter or a drone, something from an, from an airborne point of view, because you can see what you've done and you can even, you can even, even map it out on like a moving map, a GPS map, and say, okay, we've done this, now we need to do this. Again, if you do it in an urban area, it's easy. You can say, well, we just searched that street block, so now let's go to the next one. There's no street blocks outside of, of Gillum. You have, to, you have to keep track of where you've been, and that took some skill and some experience. That's very unique, and, but I do know that there's people within the RCMP that are ready for that. They have training and experience in, in this kind of wilderness uh, search that most law enforcement officers around the world have no clue about, uh, but they do because they know that these things happen and where they're going to be searching in the wilderness for, for criminals. Jack, this is pure speculation on your end, but I want to ask the question. Just in your expert opinion and, and your years of experience doing this type of thing, what do you believe was the ultimate downfall here for Cam McLeod and Briar Schmigelski? I think the wilderness caught up to them. Uh, I think uh, when they chose, it, it, it appears that they chose the boat route. It appears that that boat didn't work out and got damaged and they had to go back to a a plan B into the wilderness, and that wilderness is so, so uh, unfavorable to anybody moving that I think that, uh, that ultimately is what won the day. The wilderness, nature won the day and kept these two from getting any further than they did. Jack, in your experience, I'm sure there were successes, failures. Take us through what, what goes through the mind of, of law enforcement when the outcome is a capture, but it's not necessarily the capture they wanted because there's going to be some, some questions left over. Take us through that feeling. Sure, that, that's a common feeling. Uh, many times on containments, you'll have more failures than successes. And the key is that you look at it and go, okay, what could we have done differently? Because it's going to happen again. There's no new scenarios. It's going to happen again. And, and just reflecting and saying, what could I personally have done better? What could we have done better as an organization? What tools do we need that we don't already have? How can we do better the next time? That's important. But um, the success and failure, I mean, it feels good to, to capture them. Uh, I guarantee you that even though it wasn't the same kind of find that they were looking for for the RCMP and other law enforcement, I guarantee you that they're very happy right now that, that it's over. You know, it's over. No other Canadian or no other person in Canada is going to have to face these two. Nobody broken along, broken down alongside the road is going to have to deal with these two, and I'm sure that they're very, very happy about that. Jack, yesterday Morgan and I had some guests on for some immediate reaction to this discovery, and I posed a question to a few of them, and I'd like to get your take on this as well. The bodies or the human remains that were found were found so nearby where the jeep had been burnt out and where they had found some items along the shore of the river a few days later. A lot of people are going to offer judgment and likely poor judgment of the RCMP by saying, how did it take you so long? What do you say to those critics? The, 
what I say to those critics is that they watch too many movies and TV shows <laughs> because Hollywood paints everything. They make they make the hunt uh, look very easy. They think they make the technology look uh, uh, unbeatable. And the po- the reality is that no matter what technology you have out there, there's ways to beat it. And in thick, thick brush, for instance, forward-looking infrared, something that was certainly used in, on this search, if you're buried deep enough in that brush, forward-looking infrared does not see you. It can't see you. It, it, it's not X-ray vision. And the average person, as a matter of fact, the average police officer, doesn't really understand forward-looking infrared really well. But... The aviation people do and the drone people do, and they know it can be defeated. Uh, so you could be looking at the bush that these suspects are in, and if it's thick enough, and it's sure thick enough in that, in that region, you could hide from that technology. Um, dogs, if you're, further, if you're far enough away from where the dogs are actually searching, the dogs might not be able to pick up your scent. So a lot of the tools that law enforcement has, there's, there's ways to defeat them. Uh, and and it's, it's, it shouldn't reflect on the RCMP at all. They, they, they use the tools they had. They, they are a very professional organization. I've had contact with them many times over the years and always have been impressed. And they did what they could with what they had. And, and again, we go back to the Mother Nature. That is just a, a tough environment, very difficult environment. And I understand how those guys could have been right there and not been located. Jack, autopsies are being conducted today in Winnipeg. Where do you foresee the investigation going next? Well, uh, it's, it's unfortunate that they're not in custody and handcuffs and alive because that would be good for a lot of reasons. Number one, you could find out what's been happening for the past three weeks. You could ask them, where did you hide? What did you do? And there would be a lot of answers to those questions. What I see happening is the autopsy is going to obviously be very clear in the cause of death. And that could be a variety of things. I won't even speculate on that. But what I will tell you is the, the investigation is not over. They're going to continue to, to look into the backgrounds of these two, and I suspect that there will be a few witnesses that come forward now that these two are dead that say, I had contact with them. I didn't know that they were murderers when I did, and this is what happened. I had a conversation with them, or I drove them, or I gave them a, a bottle of water, and, and I didn't realize till afterward that they were bad people, and I've been scared to bring it up. But now that they're dead, some of those people might come out. So the investigation certainly isn't over, and there'll be a lot of debriefing, which is the best tool in the world to learn from, and um, and this this case will go down and in law enforcement history and as a, a big man out in Canada. Jack, you know quite well that Canadian police are not as exactly open as they are as police south of the border in revealing information. Are you hopeful, knowing that, that because these human remains have been found, and it is likely those of Briarish McGelsey and Cam McLeod, that the Mounties will be more open with sharing some of those details that we want to know that we really want to know what happened over the last three weeks i'm sure that more will come out maybe not as much as people want but certainly more will come out uh the flip side of that is in the states uh, i think law enforcement talks way too much uh 
and we, we show our hand way too, we tip our hand way too much. We show our cards, and that that inhibits investigations. Uh, so I understand why the RCMP and others in Canada do that, and I and I agree with it in many ways uh, because of the investigation. But now that it's done, and we know the outcome, I'm sure that they will uh, they'll be coming out with more information that that the public and that uh, the media wants to wants to hear more of and. It may not be to the level that everybody wants, but uh, I'm sure that new information will come out because this is a high-profile case been talked about around the world. Um, so the pressure is on them to do that. Jack Shane Lee, a law enforcement officer for 29 years, providing absolutely fascinating insight. I was completely captivated by everything you were saying today, Jack. So thank you so much <laughs> for, for sticking around with us. You're very welcome, Morgan. It was very nice talking to both of you. Thank you, Brad. Just got off the phone with Jack Shanley, a law enforcement officer for 29 years, talking about the weeks-long Northern BC murder suspect manhunt that has now ended. And for a long time, the question on all of our minds was, when? When will they be found? And now we're transitioning to, why did this happen? No one, of course, wants closure more than the families of those affected. A family member of one of the suspected victims of Cam McLeod and Briar Schmigelski says there's just a small amount of closure, but of course, a lot of unanswered questions. So Eric Friesen of Calgary is Leonard Dick's first cousin. He, Dick was a Vancouver resident and a sessional lecturer at UBC's Department, Department of Botany. His body was found on July 19th near Deese Lake, B.C. Friesen spoke by phone to Global's Krista Dow one day after remains were found, believed to be those of McLeod and Schmigelski. Obviously, the first part of it was incredibly difficult. And then yesterday, finding out that, um, you know, the two suspects were, were found dead up in uh, Gillum, um, kind of... Uh, brought those feelings back in a different manner. He says he remembers Dick as a very smart man who was also committed to his family. And he says it's tough to fathom the fact that we, we may never know a motive for the murders of Dick, China Deese, and Lucas Fowler.